Sports Ethos New York Nick Podcast, Andre Galliber. Listen, I've been trying to tell you. I've been trying to tell you. I've been in a lot of different places having this conversation. When Hartenstein went down, I said it. They were going to have a hard time keeping their head above water. I tried to say it. I tried to get a show out before the game. Couldn't get it out. I tried to say it. You people, uh, disingenuous fans, going down the line. I've been talking about this ad nausea. Let me get my thoughts together. The idea that the Knicks just need to get in the playoffs. Don't beat your players into the ground, Thibodeau. Rest your guys. Just make sure they're rested for the playoffs. That is, and I've seen some smart Nick fans, not even the troll Nick fans, some smart Nick fans have this conversation. That is the most disingenuous advice to the Nick organization that one can give. The most disingenuous advice. And let me start with why. The fan base is too unsophisticated. The media is too financially driven, intellectually dishonest to allow for the Knicks to make all of these moves and just get in the playoffs because of and, and giving them the excuse of injury and rest as to why they slipped to the bottom of the standings. There will be no bail offered by a large segment of the fan base the casuals, the ones who have ulterior motives, just looking for engagement and troll the team, the media who's pretty much doing the same thing, there will be no passes given. It'll be all bad. The narrative around the team will be all bad and all negative. And they'll be going into the playoffs, and here's the practical matter of it, they'll be going into the playoffs without the rhythm necessary and the cohesiveness necessary to excel in the playoffs because they wouldn't have played together, which still might be a thing because of the injuries. Now, let me just say real quick, the Knicks are not actually doing this. The Knicks are not just punting games to rest people. The Knicks are not doing this. But the fan base, and mostly people, some people in the fan base, they're advocating for that. But then when the Knicks lose the game, they're criticizing the team for how they lost. It's like you're focused on how the sausage is made when you know they're probably going to lose. Now, this Houston game, we're going to put this aside. This was a winnable game. The Alice game was not a winnable game. The Laker game was not really a winnable game. Just because it had a chance doesn't mean it was winnable. The Pacer game... The first one was not really a winnable game. They gutted that win out, and that's why it gets so much credit for it. The second Pacer game, I had no hopes in them winning that game with that skeleton crew. Now, I thought Hartenstein might play tonight, even though I said that Hartenstein was going to sit to the All-Star break. I thought he might play tonight with all of the talk pregame, and if he had played, they would have won, period. As it stands... Van Fleet didn't play, so it was a winnable game. But it's still a challenge for this team to win without a starting center. Sims helps there. He helped. He's a big help. 
But it the Knicks cannot win games without their starting centers. They can't. Not against good teams. Not against good teams. Especially a team that actually has functional paint players. They can't win. They can't win. And I said that I said this. When Hartenstein went down, listen, they can lose OG because OG took a healthy Nick team. And, and they took a healthy, good Nick team and, and catapulted them into contender, into the contender realm of the Eastern Conference. Randall, you take Randall, you lose Randall, and like, we're going to have a hard time scoring. But the starting lineup should be okay. You move OG to power forward, starting lineup should be okay. The second unit was already having struggles offensively, so you knew that they were going to try to attach, attack that at the trade deadline, and they did. But then OG gets hurt. And you say, okay, the skeleton crew, until we get these trades pulled off, they, they pull these trades off. The first game, Dallas, you don't have Grimes. You still have your skeleton crew. You, you're not going to win. Only a damn fool would look at that Dallas game and think the Knicks could win against a good Dallas team and they don't have enough on the floor. They skeleton crew. Why would you expect them to win that game? How can you be intellectually honest expecting to win that game? And then they get the guys they traded for and they play in the Pacers. Hartenstein is done. You have nobody to defend the paint. Hodge Gibson is in the game. Playing significant minutes. There's no Sims. Jericho is sick. How do you expect them to win that game? You don't get into how the sausage is made and look at, okay, you know they're probably going to lose this game and then you want to pick on how they lost. That's silly. Because everybody's doing things that they, they're not supposed to be have to do. They're playing longer minutes. They're playing out of position. Precious Chichu is playing 40 minutes a game. He had never played that many minutes in consecutive games his whole career. And he's out there and he's playing admirably, by the way. And I was talking big trash about him during this Houston game. too. You guys are, are analyzing the game like they're supposed to win. You expect these guys to come off the Pistons and step on the floor and automatically, like this is a 2K game? Like, are you for real? You can't stop the highest scoring offense in the league without your centers. You can't do it. Hartenstein is the backstop of the defense. The fact that the defense played well in Houston is a credit to Precious Achua in that second half. Because that first half, he was trash defensively, and so was was everyone else. They cannot win games with their defense without their starting centers. They can't do it. They're without... Three of their starters. Why do you expect them to win? I don't understand. Now, that's the Pacer game. First game, no Hartenstein, no Jericho Sims, no chance of winning. I watch that game like they're going to lose, and every minute they're in this game, it to me is a credit to them. You guys getting hung up. TJ McConnell's lighting people. TJ McConnell always, like, always likes to mix up. I don't know why. I don't know why TJ McConnell doesn't play every night. He is a whole pain in the butt. He's always been a whole pain in the butt. And he loves playing against the Knicks for whatever reason. He wants to be a Knicks. It's, it's obvious to me. 
Because he loves playing against the Knicks. And he's not, he's not even talking big trash. He just wants to perform when he plays in New York. He knows exactly what to do, where to go, to score. And be a pain in the butt. There's no chance of winning that game. None. Why do you? Why would you use that as, a, as an opportunity to criticize the players who are actually playing? And to criticize Tibbs. Oh, you know, he's not playing Jacob Toppin. I think Jacob Toppin, Toppin should have found some minutes in that game, too. I agree with you. Do you think Jacob Toppin was going to turn the tide in that game? No. I just want You might as well put him in here because you're probably not going to win. And the Pacers have pulled away in the second, in the third, and fourth quarter. So you might as well put him in, and he didn't. I, I, I hate the fact that he did. But you criticized him. You got fans out there criticizing them. Criticizing Alec Burks. And listen, Alec Burks did come out in that in that Pacer game chucking shots. He did. I didn't like how he played in that Pacer game. The way he came out chucking shots, it was kind of wild to me. But then you look at his box score in that Pacer game, and the dude shot 50% from the field and 57% from three. And then you shut up. Because you know he was told, hey, we need offensive punch in this second unit. And we're a skeleton crew out here, so you got to come out here and you got to get acclimated fast. Well, he he did. He 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 definitely came out and started checking up shots. I didn't like it. I I, I knew he was going to get criticized and torn apart for it, and he was. There's a lot of revisionist history coming from Nick fans that didn't like Alec Brooks. We talked about this. I think I talked about this on this show. There's a lot of revisionist history about what Alec Brooks did when he was here. Alec Brooks was a good player here. You didn't like the fact that he played when IQ, you wanted IQ to play. So you're criticizing him for his performances on a bad team playing in front of a player that you wanted to play. He was not a bad player. He was not. Alec Burks is a very solid rotation player. He should not have been your second best player, which is what he was that season. In a lot of games, he was the Knicks' best player because Randall did not have a good season that year. So. I think he's being held to an unfair standard. I think there's a lot of revisionist history as to what he did when he was on this team. I think a lot of people forgot how he performed the year before when the Knicks were the fourth seed. I think there's a lot of nonsense when it comes to Alec Burks. I hope he rises above it and not doesn't get torn down by it because there's a lot of good vibes here in New York. And you don't need somebody that's going to catch the ire of the fans as much as Alec Burks probably is, especially since Grimes got traded and he came in that trip. But Alec Burks did come out here and shoot 57% from three, hit four threes in that game, and shot 50% from the field, and y'all sitting here acting like he was terrible. You know, but can he can he fit in better? Absolutely. Can he do better? Absolutely. Now, this Houston game, he was terrible. He was terrible. He, in that first half, he was bad. No question about it. He was bad. Hair him down. But that's two games one was his first game as a Nick, and he played better than you act like. And in this game, yeah, his first half, he played badly. He did. Criticize him. That doesn't mean it was a bad trade, doofus. It's the first weekend is back on the team. It doesn't mean it was a bad trade. And for those of you trying to act like it was, put yourself together. There's so much nonsense in, these, in this analysis. If they had won the game... You'd be saying different things. It'd be good vibes about how they fought all the way back against all odds if they had won the game. But you lose the game and they get cheated out of the law, out of the game. And you're still finding people, you, you're tearing the team apart. Like, like this is, 
Like this, the end of days. That's how you know that the Knicks cannot. They're not in a position to just punt games and just make the playoffs. And we talked about the seeding aspect of it. You don't want to be a six, seven, eight seed playing Milwaukee or Cat or the Cavs or Boston in the first first round. I don't care how much of a team, a good team that you think the Knicks can be, if they end up as a six, seven, eight seed in the conference in, in the playoffs, that means that they haven't been able to pull it together. And then you're expecting them to turn it on in the playoffs like they the Chicago Bulls or something. I should say the ninety Chicago Bulls, Jordan Bulls, not these trash Bulls. They're not going to just turn it on. They're not Miami. They're not going to turn it on. It's it's too many new players on the team. They need to play. They need to find cohesion. They need to win games. They need to get the two or the three seed because it's available to be had. And if they get the two or three seed, then they avoid playing teams that are capable of beating them in the first round because they have a similar record. Like the four or five. Like you teams, you playing the four or five, that means you got two teams that have been playing at the same rate for half the season. And you might have a situation where you're playing the 76ers with an MB who's returned. And now has a Kyle Lowry on the team. And a Buddy Heald. And, and you're trying to figure yourself out. Is that a winnable series? Sure. Do you want to play MB in the first round? No, you don't. You don't. On paper, you don't. You don't want to be in a four or five game. Being a 3-6 and take your chances with whomever is at that 6 seed who's struggling to get into the playoffs. Just made it. The Chicago Bulls. You don't want to play the Heat, but you really want the 2 seed and you want a playing team. That's really what you want. You want to get as good as you can get. Because what a 2 seed does is it's indicative of how the team played. You understand? It means the team has put all of these parts together and played well for six weeks going into the playoffs. That's what it means. That's what it's indicative of. They've played to their, their, their highest levels. So if they don't get the two seed and the three seed asterisk, depending on how it shakes out, if they don't get the higher seed, that means they're not playing well. That means they've not been able to put it together, which is this gives you no reason to think that they should just beat whoever they play in the playoffs. So, no, you don't rest team just to get in the playoffs. It, you, just, you can't do it. And then it's all negative vibes. You understand? It's all negative vibes. It's all, it's all uh, these guys are on social media. They're reading some of this stuff. It's all negative vibes. And some players, they, they can't deal with it. They don't know how to handle it. When there's positive vibes out there, everything is better. The media, the fans, they will tear teams down. I've seen it a thousand times. When you're as old as I am, You've seen it a thousand times. They will tear people down. So you either get two kinds of players. You get players who ignore it all and they can just take care of their business. And you hope that Jalen Brown is that type. You hope that Josh Hart is that type. You hope that Dante's that type. You go down the line. And then you got players that get eaten up by it. And in the past, Julius Randle, he's gotten eaten up by it. You've seen it. You've seen it. And you got players that get stubborn about it. Like, I'm not going to let these people tear me down. So they start playing outside their game trying to prove everybody wrong. It's like any way you slice it, the noise starts to affect the team. So when things are positive and you win in eight games in a row, you still got negative Nancy Nick fans. But they, they, become, they become the minority. Because even the negative fans start getting on board when the team is playing well. Some of them. 
and it becomes a big party. When when you start win some, lose some, win some, lose some, then all oh, the trade is bad. Fire this guy, blah, blah, blah. And that's the whole narrative. It's just people arguing about why the team is bad. That's all it's going to be. And you're seeing it now. And you're, and you're also seeing how casual too many of these fans are. You cannot win without your two starting centers. You can't win without Mitch, and then you can't win without, win without Hartenstein. There were a lot of you who thought they couldn't win without Mitch. And I was here to tell you that, that was nonsense. But I'm also here to tell you that they cannot win consistently without Hartenstein. Now, what Precious did in that second half last night is what he, what he did was show me that they might be able to keep their head above water as long as Jericho Sims is playing too. Because what Precious did in that second half, boy, I was talking big trash about Precious. I said, Precious, he's playing outstanding at the power forward position, but the center position is, is not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. He's not presenting enough of a deterrent at the front of the rim, and that was a par problem in the Pacer game. It's a problem in this first half of this Houston game. I want to see Sims in there uh, and, and see if we get a little bit more defense at that front in the rim. But then Precious, boy, when they in that fourth quarter where they started coming back and in the third quarter too, boy, Precious is out there playing some excellent defense. He was playing some excellent defense at the front of the rim, man. Give him nothing but credit. And, I, and I'm going to say this now. I'm going to say this now. When Julius comes back, Either Julius is the type to raise, and I thought Julius raised his bar a little bit because of OG. If Julius does not raise his bar because of Precious's defense, then there's something awry. Then I would, I will start to move towards the maybe Julius doesn't have the future here that we think he does. And I know that's a controversial statement in and of itself there's plenty of people who think that he should be moved but i think he's the foundation of, of what of the team and a lot of what they do okay in and out of the locker room in and out of the locker room on the floor in the locker room but when you see precious playing the defense that precious is playing and then you see randall come in the game and randall's half asleep on defense it's hard. It's hard, man. Because these guys see it. They're on the floor and they see it. And they see this guy busting his butt. And then they see somebody else not doing it. And it's like, nah, man. We need effort to be at this level. And you got it at that level. And it's hard. It's hard to reconcile it. It's a downer for the whole team. Because if everybody's not hustling like that, if everybody's not fighting like that, then it's a wasted effort. So until you do it, nobody else is going to, it's people going to stop doing it. Because it's a waste. It's contagious, it's contagious in the opposite way. When you're hustling like that, it's contagious for everybody. The way Josh Hart hustled last night, he was busting his butt hustling last night. And everybody started doing it. Everybody. Everybody. And you got one guy who's not doing it, it becomes a thing. I saw a post from Adufus today saying Knicks defense is trashed by bringing in Bogey and Burks. They need Grimes defensively. The Knicks defense in that second half was off the charts. 
and Bogey was on the floor for a ton of it. This was about stopping at the front of the rim. It's about presenting at the front of the rim, slowing down, penetration, and having a deterrent at the front of the rim, and then securing the rebound. That's what it's about. And Precious did that last in that second half. He did it. He did it. He didn't start off doing it. I don't know why. That's kind of the book on him is, is having up and down intensity levels. But for the most part, his intensity levels have been off the charts here. And it's a little too early to have this conversation, but you thought you knew what the rotation was going to be. You thought you knew it. I don't know how Precious doesn't play. I don't know how Precious doesn't play when everybody's healthy. And I, I'm saying this because <laughs> he's the odd man out of this rotation. But defensively, how do you not want this guy on the floor? What he's doing defensively, man, especially at the power forward position, is too, mu is too much to sit down. It's too much to sit down, man. At center, it's like, ah, uh, you up and down. But at power forward, man, oh, man. The way he moves his feet, the way he keeps his hands up, listen, man. Uh, Precious, Precious almost lost me as a, as a center last night and then got me right back. Got me right back. But Jalen Brunson said it. He's like, we all know what we could be, how good we could be, but we need to be good right now. And he's absolutely right. And y'all got to stop talking this nonsense like they don't need to be good right now because you're full of it. Because as soon as they lose, you're all over, the tw all over Twitter, all over social media acting like it's the end of the world. It's a joke. And you don't, know, you don't understand how important the center position is on this team. And you don't understand how important the art and sign is. I actually saw somebody post, y'all think OG is going to make this team better? OG and Hartenstein? Huh? I was like, are you a Russian bot? Are you serious? How can you not? How can you say that? I I gotta tell you, I gotta be honest. It's because of this show that I'm on social media at all. I have a really hard time. Some people think I enjoy arguing with these people. I don't enjoy it. It, it just it really bothers me when I see people say things that are blatantly wrong. It just it's not an opinion. <laughs> it's, it's not an opinion to say oh that OG and Hartenstein are gonna make this seem better. That's not an opinion. It's not an opinion. That's ridiculous. You already saw what this team was in January before they added Burks and Bogey. So what do you mean? What do you mean? Precious was supposed to be a throw-in. He's saving. He's giving the Knicks a chance every night. Dante DiVincenzo got hurt last night. So the hits keep on coming. They keep on coming. He, he, he hurt his hamstring. It's hard to imagine. Somebody tweaking their hamstring a game before the All-Star break with the minutes that he's playing and, and him playing in Orlando. Uh, and, and that could be a bad sign with the way Burks has played in terms of being so offensively aggressive. It could really disrupt, you know, what Dante has really brought to the team, which has been outstanding. You know, he had 20 plus points last night again. And the way he scores is not is not intrusive on anyone else, right? He's scoring in the flow of the offense, whereas Burks was kind of forcing. Um, not a good sign. I, I felt like if Hardenstein played in Orlando, they would have a chance. It's hard to imagine that they would play Hardenstein off this injury one game before the break. It's hard to imagine. 
So you see those strides that Precious has made and, and Sims being back. So you think, okay, maybe they let Hartenstein sit one more game. Uh, but with no Dante and no Hartenstein, eh, that becomes a much tougher game to win. I thought it was a game they could win before. You know, another game under the belt. Bogey played well in the second half uh, at the game last night. I thought he found a good little rhythm and an idea how he can attack in within the offense. They have to win this game. When I say they have to win, understand, I say this, Understanding is still early, but you don't want to you don't want to go into the All Star break having lost four in a row. This is a game that they can win. They need to go out there and need to win it, and they need to play like they played in the second half. and And the way they played the second half of that game was promising to me. It was promising how Precious stepped up at the center position. It was promising to me that Bogey was able to find a little bit of a rhythm. It was promising to me that Alec in the second half realized he was being a shot nut and chilled out. It was promising to me that Brunson was still playing well. It was promising to me that Hart played well in the game. Uh, so all of these, and obviously Dante being hurt, that's a step back. All of those things are important going into the break. It's important. It's good vibes for the team, even though the fan base is trash. When they come back from the break, they're still not going to have Randall. They're still not going to have OG. It's probably going to be another week for OG. And OG's going to come back, and he's going to struggle. He's going to struggle because he hurt his elbow. He hurt his shooting elbow. So he's not going to shoot the ball very well. You have to assume he's not going to shoot the ball very well. And it's much easier to fit, I would say, OG coming back. Things come, become a little bit trickier because you're going to play OG at small forward and start precious. You're going to put OG at power forward and bring Precious off the bench, and then you have a healthy Sims, Hartenstein, and Precious at all at the center position, whereas Precious has played better at the power forward position defensively. Yeah, it becomes a little bit tough. It becomes a little bit tough to see how things are going to rock. Now, a couple of the developments out of this game is you saw Deuce McBride play less minutes. And listen, everybody can't play. I knew Deuce was going to suffer the most. I knew he was going to suffer the most, and the better that Alec plays, the the more you're going to see, the less you're going to see uh, Deuce. You're going to see more Dante and Alec. And Alec, I, I'm I'm calling him Alex, like casuals, Alec. All right, you're going to see more, because I understand you have to understand what Deuce is giving you is great, but he's not offensively, he's not giving you anything that those guys can't give you. And defensively, as good as he is defensively, he is smaller. So the Knicks, you know, they they can't afford to be small, especially when they have injuries on the front line. That being said, the the front line should come back. I'm real curious what this rotation is going to look like when we come back. You, you already see that Precious is one of Tibbs' favorites. You already see it. And there's a lot of people when Precious first got here, there were a lot of people saying that he wasn't going to play him. Because you didn't see him play him immediately. What Tibbs, what, what Precious did was he earned his way on the floor. He earned his way on the floor. You understand? Earned it. And that's how Tibbs functions. And you guys keep acting like he doesn't function that way. He does. You have to earn your minutes. And once you earn your minutes, he might go down in flames with you. But you got to earn it first. And the way he's playing Precious, 
oh, y'all trying to say that he wasn't going to play him at all because he didn't play the first couple games. He has shut y'all up. And I don't see too many people coming back talking about, oh, we were wrong about two brushes. Nah, <laughs> I don't see none of y'all come back and say that. I'll be the first one to tell you I was trying to get pressures out of that game in that, in that fourth quarter. I really thought Sims was going to be the better the better look in that fourth quarter because Precious was a culprit, one of the culprits in that first half. It's, it's about Hartenstein. I can't stress it enough. I can't stress it enough. You can't lose Hartenstein. You don't think you people understand how good Hartenstein was. You just look at points. That's your, you don't just look at points. He was excellent. He was like the third or fourth best center in the league in January. If that... But because you guys just look at points, you don't see it that way. I tried to school you. I tweeted out all the numbers and the stats. In plus minus in January, the Knicks had four of the top, like, six people in, in plus minus in January. And Hartenstein was up there. This plus minus was higher than almost every center you can name. And you think it doesn't matter? He's on the floor? What? What, what kind of team do you think this is? <laughs> you, this, there is no reality where the Knicks get a pass for being injured and hurt because their own stupid fan base won't give them a pass for being injured and hurt. People do more than they're, asked, they're normally asked to do. They're playing and they're asked to step up in ways that they may not be able to do. And you see that in the good and the bad. You're seeing guys step up in a good way like Dante. And sometimes you see guys step up in a bad way, like sometimes with Josh Hart or like you saw with Alec in the Pacer game. No, not so, not so much the Pacer game, but the first half of the Houston game. I tried to make it about the Pacer game. Sometimes you see guys not not make that move, like Precious sometimes. and But most of the time, 90% of the time, you see him play above his shoulder, above his head. But it means that when you're playing good teams like the Pacers, like the Mavericks, like the Rockets, you're going to lose. <laughs> you're going to lose. You're going to lose if you don't have, have all these pieces. But that Houston game, winnable game. And I'd be remiss if we didn't discuss how they've already admitted that they should not have called the foul at the end of that game. I'm not going to rant and rave about it. I'm not going to rant and rave about the free throw disparity. It was a terribly officiated game. I'm used to the Knicks not always getting the benefit of the whistle. So to me, it's it's like I'm not one of the players on the floor. I'm not the coaching staff. So I can't get all riled up about it and angry about it. If it was a playoff game, it would be different. When you, you want to see your team play as – you want to see your team play better. All right? And in that second half, you saw the team play better. And to me, that's what matters, right? So when you're not playing well and you're not getting the whistle, I'm not going to sit here and rant and rave. And sometimes you're not playing well is because you're not getting the whistle. And I'm not, I don't mean necessarily the psychology of it, but because if I go to the basket and I don't get a foul call and I should have been fouled, then that's two points, a chance at two points that I don't get. And now they come down the court and they score. Now we're minus four. So you add that up too many times and you're losing. So not getting calls affects the game more than people actually realize, right? Because when you're losing, you're losing a lot of times because you're not getting some of the calls you should be getting. That said, the Knicks gave up too many points in that first half. So they weren't playing like a team that should be winning. 
right? In that second half, they changed that around, and you saw the defense change. Now, you don't want them to get cheated out of an opportunity to win. And I, I never thought, once the Knicks started coming back, I never thought they would actually lose the game. But Houston stuck in there. They made some big, big plays, got some big steals. You know, they got the ball out of Jalen's hands a bunch of times. And that, that reminds me, you cannot have these lineups where Precious and Sims are playing together. I get it. I get it. But you can't have it. <laughs> okay? You need to start, start Bogdanovich. You have to start him. I know you don't want to take Precious out of the starting lineup, so don't. Put Sims on the bench and start Precious at center. I already told you I don't love it. But you have to start Bogdanovich. You got to stop starting two non-shooting centers. I hate the fact that Tibbs will put that. You don't need to choose defense over offense anymore. Bogey's not a terrible defensive player. I know people want to make him into a terrible defensive player. He's not. Is he Precious? He's not. But Precious is still on the floor. Okay? He's not Jericho. I get it. Put him at power forward and give some spacing on the floor. You're making everybody's life difficult. You cannot have a starting lineup with Josh Hart, uh, Precious Achua, and Jericho Sims. You have three non-shooters on the floor. It's not going to be good for Jalen Brunson or Dante DiVincenzo. Stop it. Don't do that. That's not a good thing. And these are the type of decisions that drive me crazy about tips. And I understand there's a lot of irrational tip haters out there. There are a lot of people who still want him fired. There are a lot of people who actually give legitimate criticisms of him that are sometimes tossed into the hating, hating on tips category. No, most coaches aren't perfect. We shouldn't be uh, dismissed because there are so many tips haters out there and he's done a great job overall. But this is the type of nonsense that drives people crazy, though. Don't I understand you don't start bogey in a Pacer game. I get that. But in the Houston game, he should have started. In the next game, he should be starting. And I understand Orlando's a tougher team. And now you got Pablo. So maybe, no. So you, maybe you don't start bogey on Pablo unless you have data that suggests that he can guard him. So you got to go with Precious again, I suppose. All right? Or maybe you put bogey at the center position defensively. I don't I, He's, he's going to start again, man. You already Listen, let me not waste time. He's going to start again. And the Knicks are going to have a hard time scoring. You can't start them all. You can't start all these non-shooters. And Josh Hart shot the ball well decently. Or shot it decently last night. You can't do that. Don't, you can't, you're not going to make these games into a defensive scrum. And then just wear on Brunson to, to hold the offensive fort down for eight minutes in the first quarter and the third quarter. It's, you're doing too much there. You don't have to do it anymore, so don't. At Sports Ethos on Twitter. At Ethos Knicks. Until next time.